0: Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This
1: is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here, Head. Tyler. Troy Quest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz. Seth Mike. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi,
2: we're Chaim. And you're listening to the Talk House Podcast.
1: is up i'm ellie einhorn welcome back to the talk house podcast this week i'm joined by
0: annie fell associate editor
1: annie thanks for taking a minute out of your crazy day to join me here of course i always love coming we have a very very exciting show today kate nash in conversation with cherry glazer front person clem creevy
0: the two are old friends and wanted to talk about their new records
1: yeah cherry glazer just dropped the fantastic record stuffed and ready And Kate is back with the banging new single, Trash.
0: Everything these two artists come out with is always so exciting.
1: Amen. Now, Kate Nash embodies so much of what I love in a pop star, Annie. She's smart. She's got attitude. She does not take shit. And she constantly reinvents her sound. This is an artist who has really redefined what success looks like for herself she first struck fame and fortune with her 2007 hit album made of bricks she won the brit award the next year for that but then had a very serious issue with the major label system instead of letting her career be ruined by that she dissociated herself completely and took to releasing her own fantastic music and really made it a point to follow her own muse away from the pressures that the industry put on her to model what they thought was going to be popular. It's also been really cool to see her take up other avenues like acting.
0: Yeah, she had a really great role on Genji Cohen's Netflix show Glow, playing Rhonda Britannica Richardson.
1: Britannica. <laughs> <laughs> Kate's last LP was Yesterday Was Forever. That came out just last year and was her fourth full length. She just dropped the single Trash, which is a total banger. Let's play a clip of that now. That's good stuff, right?
0: So good. Now, Kate was a huge inspiration to Clementine. One of the things Clem learned from her older pal was attitude. And as we can hear in the talk, she has that in spades.
1: <laughs> she definitely does. Cherry Glazer gives no fucks.
0: Clem's actually been playing guitar since age 11 and officially started her music career when she was 15 and would release lo-fi bedroom demos under the name Clem Butt on SoundCloud.
1: I'm glad she changed the name, Annie. I'm glad she changed the name. By 2013, Cherry Glazer was a band, and with each of their three records, they have gained more and more fans and notoriety.
0: This new one, Stuffed and Ready, is confessional, intense, and emotional. Creevy clearly wants her listener to understand what she's feeling, which, as this album demonstrates, is at times fed up, fatigued, and angered.
1: Funnily enough, Clem's actually done a turn acting as well. She had a recurring role on Transparent as the leader of the band Glitterish.
0: Let's check out the track Daddy from the new album.
1: In this talk, Kate and Clem chop it up about a lot. They take in religion, rebellion, trauma, toxic masculinity, growing up in L.A., and surprisingly, the Maharaja musical that Kate's writing.
0: They also talk about the strange empowerment and singing from the perspective of a misogynist.
1: And we get to hear the surprising story of what inspired Kate's new single, Trash. Should we roll it?
0: Let's roll it. Did you grow up
2: religious? <laughs> <laughs> Curve balls. Um I grew up kind of not yeah. like I'm Irish. My mom's Irish, so there's uh-huh. like Irish Catholic background. Okay, so me I too. Went, I went to church. Really? Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> I went to church and I did my like Holy Communion and confirmation mm-hmm. and stuff like that.
3: Yeah. Okay, so you're confirmed. I am confirmed. Yeah, so you're confirmed, <laughs> <laughs> verified by Christ. <laughs> <laughs> you have the blue I have star the blue. next to your name, <laughs> according to Jesus. To Jesus, baby, <laughs> sweet
2: baby Jesus. Yeah, and I went to Catholic school, mm-hmm. but in terms of like my parents, my mom has always had like a healthy relationship with. Religion in a way. Mm. even I, I don't feel religious now, but, mm. and there's certain things I don't like about having gone to like Catholic school and things that right. like, like you get taught in church. I right. like, wish I didn't have to carry right. with me for the rest of my life. It's funny. I feel the same way. Yeah. yeah. Of course. Yeah. I think most people do. I'm sure. But then my mom always told us like, like there was never any of the like really crazy stuff that came with religion. My mom always said to us like what her God was, which is, mm. and I, understood this from a young age that like you the first thing you get taught about god is that god is omniscient omnipotent and benevolent mm. which is all loving all knowing and i'm i feel like pretty spiritual at this point in my life mm. i'm like open to kind of anything any idea and any awesome. like, you seem that way oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> that's nice but she, my mum was always like my god is is that so there's not rules that can be written by people that mm. like god isn't homophobic like god right. isn't these things that people take, that human beings take on. Right. So I feel like I'm lucky that I have the parents that I do because as mm-hmm. much as like some of the stuff that came from being in religious environment is negative, I had like a very open, loving household that wasn't mm-hmm. super strict and mm-hmm. didn't, we didn't get like, I mean, we went to church with my mom, but then when we decided we didn't want to go, it wasn't like a big deal or awesome. we didn't get forced to do things. Right. I feel like. So they were like sane People. They are sane. And my mom, my mom, yeah, they're definitely saying My it mom is. They seem very sane. They're sane. What about you? I didn't really
3: grow up that religious, but I came from an Irish Catholic. Family, yeah. Big Irish Catholic family in Chicago. Oh, cool. Generations of like Chicago and <laughs> so Irish cool. people. And I, my, Amazing. my grandma comes Patrick from stay. nine. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Is it today? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh man. If my grandparents listen to this, they're going to be upset with me that I didn't already know <laughs> that. Um, yeah. So my grandparents both come from nine, both very Irish, big, big family. Yeah. Very loving, very supportive and awesome. Um, my mom was a little sus her whole life of religion, I think. And and my dad grew up here in LA and Mm -hmm. it's like secular Jewish. And yeah, they're both very secular. Like my mom got married to my dad when I was 12 and they raised me here very secular. But I had to go to Catholic school when I was in like first and second grade and also fifth and sixth grade. I moved around a lot with my mom. She was a single mom and like moved me around a lot from city to city. And, um, yeah, I have a lot of resentment about having to go to Catholic school because I think it taught me a lot of shame and a lot of like, like, yeah, guilt, and the guilt is like, whatever, I can deal with the guilt. <clears throat> but the shame is the really bad one. I think that's a specifically Catholic church kind of a thing. Yeah. That you should feel shameful and you're dirty yeah. and shameful and you have to repent for your sins <laughs> yeah. and just all this bullshit. Yeah. And my mom actually a few years ago, disowned herself from the Catholic Church officially. She had to write a letter to the Pope.
2: Wow. That's apparently what you have to do. You have to write a letter to the you Pope. You have to write a letter to the Pope. Does he read it? That's <laughs> a great question. Okay, I wonder if he genuinely is like, it's like Santa.
3: You like. have to do that. That's what I mean about the whole structure being so... That's crazy.
2: Shameful. And yeah, like... Dear Pope, I'm out.
3: Uh, yeah, dear Pope, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Hope everything's good with you.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, <That's> crazy. <laughs> so she disowned herself from the Catholic
2: Church, and do you still feel you like you carry that with you as an adult?
3: I wish I didn't have so much like weird trauma related to it. It was the, I have a, un, like not very traumatic life. Mm-hmm. I feel very grateful and blessed that yeah. I don't have a lot of trauma in my life. Mm-hmm. I have I had a very easy life. Mm-hmm. And I think it's cool because I think that I might be able to be happy at some point because Uh of it. And, of course, there's the obvious, like, internalized shittiness of just being a femme in the world and all of the shit that you have to go through throughout your life because of
2: that. Yeah.
3: But at least I didn't have any added shit on top of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah which I feel like lucky and grateful for. And something I've realized recently that I don't want to co-opt other people's trauma. I've, I've learned that I, it's not cool to have had trauma. I don't, I don't need to co-opt other people's lives and other people's trauma in right. order to feel cool or validated or yeah. regular. Yeah. I didn't have trauma in my life. I, I'm not particularly depressed and like, that's okay. <laughs> that's really
2: good. Yeah. That's really good. But that is a thing with musicians is that yeah. you're not like worthy. Right. You don't, you're not as interesting an artist or mm-hmm. you can't create without I had some, some like darkness.
3: complexes with that for
2: sure. Yeah. Growing up in like the punk scene and like yeah. that being a part of music for, for sure. And do you feel like you needed, to, when you were younger, you felt like you needed to try and seem that way or like it affected you? It just made you feel like you weren't good enough or... <gasps>
3: Yeah, I totally did. I romanticized
2: yeah. depression and the depressed artist. Yeah. It's so dangerous. Yeah. It's so fucked up. I think the thing about it is that has actually killed a lot of musicians in itself. The fact yeah. that people just felt like they needed to be there. Yeah. I know people that have self-sabotaged themselves right. to create that. Right. And the thing is, like, you don't, like, life is pretty fucking intense. It's really stressful and bad shit's going to happen to you. It's going to happen to you. Not necessarily like childhood trauma. Like you say, people can go through life having not the worst experiences. But in general, like you're going to know people that are going to die. There's going to be stress. There's going to be money troubles. There's going to be ups and downs. All of that today is happening, going to happen to you. That's going to happen to everyone. (laughs) And so you're going to have depression to draw from at some point. Yeah. That... Um, If you have empathy in any way or feel and have emotional reactions to things, then you're Mm going to be able to express them. And also, one thing I think I've learned as an artist that is really helpful as a performer as well as a writer is that you don't have to be always feeling it. Yeah. i think when i was younger i felt that too and Mm. i was influenced by people around me that it's like you have to be kind of like i don't know Mm. it's like when you're like drunk and you do a show and you're like yeah i was really into it but really you were not Mm. as good as if you were sober (laughs) and just doing a good show completely so it's not actually about you all the time right and it's amazing i love having music and need it to deal with so much of my emotional stuff yeah It's a perfect outlet for me. Mm. It's not enough, actually, I've also learnt to completely heal from things. Like, it was for 10 years, just the only therapy that I had was working and, like, writing and then touring. Yeah. And then, as I've grown up, I've realised, oh, that's not how you actually deal with problems. Like, you don't resolve things from doing that. You kind of, like, skip them a little bit. Right. But you can also dip into, like, different parts of your creativity Mm. and write, from different perspectives and um i've been working on this musical Mm -hmm. for since 2010 (laughs) Yeah, that makes me excited (laughs) it's been such a cool experience because i never would have imagined that i could write for some of these storylines or characters Mm -hmm. and it taught me a lot that you can tap into different parts of your creativity mm-hmm. it doesn't all have to be about me and mm-hmm. being able to go into these other characters worlds and write for them is like something that I've got in my toolkit as well yeah and most likely a lot of people have because oh, that's so
3: cool you just like it seems
2: so energizing yeah it's mm. it's at this point I feel like putting almost myself in situations or different projects or mm. limitations and being like, I'm going to write for this
3: mm.
2: is it's really inspiring to me at the moment. Totally. Whereas I feel like before I've had these like urges to like explode that needed to right, come out. Right, And right. now I don't feel like I need that as much. It's That's like,
3: awesome. Yeah. That seems like natural or at least you seem to be honing in on your craft, what your actual craft is. Yeah. Honing in on it and expanding it and realizing
2: that there are a lot of assets that you can, like, dip into. Yeah, it's like different drawers that you just, like, realize are open and they've been, like, locked or something. When you're like, oh, this one opens now. That's cool. Will you tell me about a character? In the musical? Yeah. So, who's your favorite character to write for? Well, this this musical is about um, the Maharaja Mm -hmm. who was, like, the Indian, like, king who was considered to be a god, basically. Like, the way that he was treated was insane. They would hold an umbrella over him to protect the son from his race. Like, that's how the Maharaja was treated. Um, and he went to Paris in the 1920s. And it was just so lavish and over the top. I mean, they traveled with, like, elephants and gold trunks and, like, insane... That's so weird. I thought
3: I was the only one who did
2: that. <laughs> <laughs> South by, excuse me! <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, the story is basically inspired by him, and it's it's... It has some factual stuff in it, but it's really like focuses on, he has three wives in the story. He had multiple wives, but in this story Mm -hmm. he has three. And he goes to Paris and he's looking for, he's trying to get his mojo back. He's kind of, he's basically having a midlife crisis. (laughs) And he is doing everything except what he should be in touch with to actually find himself. Oh, wow. So he's like thinking he needs to do all these things. And he has three wives and they tell these different stories and they're like so cool. Oh, like, I'm like, am I allowed to fucking talk about it? Oh, yeah, no, don't. I don't know. But I love your interpretation of this (laughs) story. It's like, I like writing from his perspective because I would never, ever tap into that. Right. Like a a middle aged man who is like a king who has all these like ego trips and like power. There's all this like crazy power stuff going on. Wow. And, um, how does that make you feel? Amazing. It made yeah. me you understand rappers. I was like, this yeah. is why rappers are always like, I'm yeah. the fucking shit all yeah. the time because you feel amazing. If yeah. you just like rap aggressively about how fucking powerful you are, Ugh. it's such a trip. That's so sick. It's like a weird mentality that living in, I'm sure, is extremely unhealthy. Right. But like experiencing once or twice, I'm like, wow, I get this now. I get why you're just like constantly like, yelling about how fucking amazing you are. That's so amazing. I never do that. Dude. <laughs> You brought up such a great point about
3: cross-reading. That's what that is, is like cross-reading. I guess a feminist writer taught me about cross-reading. Okay. I think it might be bell hooks. Cool. And cross-reading is when... You women have to do it all the time because most books are written by men about men, right? Or whatever famous books right. that we read, <clears throat> okay? Um, classics, yeah. And cross reading <laughs> is when you're reading those books, you're cross reading. Women have to do it constantly, men have to do it very much less so. So, you take your you put your you put your your reading. Uh, the perspective right. of a man written by a man. And it's your
2: interpretation And of it's it. your interpretation oh, that's of That's so it. interesting.
3: And women have to do it constantly with shows, movies, everything. TV, wow. ads, uh, <laughs> books, yeah. everything. and like, History. Yeah. It's <laughs> cool because my bandmate, he is a cis man, straight mm. cis man, and he's reading bell hooks right now. Cool. About toxic masculinity <laughs> and... It's just cool to see him cross-reading. Yeah. Cuz I don't it's it's cool to see, you know, I, th- there's so many great women writers that are read mm-hmm. by men and and that's the sh- you know, that's the shit that happens a lot, especially mm-hmm. nowadays with with so many awesome writers. But anyways, what you were saying about cross-reading with like that kind of role? Yeah. It made me think about this Megadeth cover I had to do recently. Uh, yeah. And it was so cool because Dave Mustaine <laughs> mm-hmm. is writing about how he's going to kill his lady <laughs> if she doesn't love him back. <laughs> and she and he'd rather kill her than not be loved by her. And I love I love singing <sighs> from the perspective of misogynists. Yeah. I love it because it makes me feel so validated. <laughs> <laughs> like, it makes me feel so good. I'm like, am I allowed to—I'm really saying this. And everyone's going, yeah, yeah, cool. <laughs> love it. Great. It's like, correct. they don't even think about it, and about I'm it. singing it. We actually sing this um, LCD Sound System cover. I love LCD Sound yeah. System. But there's this one line where he goes, to think I used to pity you, to think I used I mean, to pity you, it's true. It's true. And I would never write something like that. Yeah. I think because of the, I think a lot of it is um, an internalized sexism Yeah, where I feel like I wouldn't want to be seen as the kind of woman who is pitying Somebody else. Yeah. I shouldn't put myself on that kind of pedestal. I shouldn't be so cocky. Right, right. Pitying someone else. I don't want to be seen as that cocky. Right, because you're above
2: someone else. Right. Because so you you're them. above someone else and if like, you pity them. Exactly. Pity is such a it's such an interesting word because it's Yeah. It's like judgmental kind of. Yeah. It's like I pity you. <laughs> That's like, okay, wow. <laughs> Wow. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, it's so would be so intense if someone felt pity for you. Yeah.
3: But when I sing it, I can sometimes feel really powerful. uh Uh-huh. Because I'm like, whoa, I'm like singing about pitying someone. (laughs) Like, this
2: is crazy right now. Because also I feel like as women, you're empathizing. You put so much emotion into, I think a lot of women do this, Mm. is understand, almost over-emotionally understanding where people's shit comes from. Mm. I've done this so much to the point where I've like stayed in terrible relationships because I just understand why they're so fucked up. Right. And why they treat me like that. Like they don't understand it, but I do. Like the oppression has taught you. I'm like, they're not really a bad person. Like they they do love me. They just like Mm. are fucked up because of these reasons and I Mm. get that. Mm, mm, mm. No. Mm, Yeah. No. No. (laughs) No. That's not how you should function in relationships at all. Like, there's a certain point where I think understanding someone t- like an overempathizing is dangerous, has been to me. I've had to like learn how to go, but also, want, if you just are being a dick, then you are a dick. <laughs> yeah, you know? Right.
3: Like, there's a cap where it's like not justifiable <laughs> anymore.
2: Yeah. Or at least like, Okay. Or understand it from a distance. Like I don't right. need to be
3: around that person. Right. I right. can just be like You can be empathetic, you can mm-hmm. understand where they're coming from, I don't but have to you pity also them. don't have to take on <laughs> like their the, shit. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I've had people in my life too that were very toxic and yeah. it was like, okay, like I feel really bad for you. I'm gonna keep being your friend. I feel like you yeah. uh have like a lot of problems and I I, I love you and like I I feel for you because I can, I know that you have been traumatized. Yeah. And but then you reach a certain point where you're like, okay, well, you can understand and empathize with this person, yeah. Or at least try to understand, yeah. And feel empathetic towards this person, um. But you don't have to take that shit on, yeah. Because, in at the end of the day, it's kind of selfish for for you to yeah. be like. Oh, I'm I'm gonna just take them on. I'm gonna just take this on. It's no big deal. I've got it. It's a little bit like no, you don't. Like, yeah, you know, chill out. Yeah, yeah, you're not that great. You're not. You know, you you, you've got your
2: own fragile problems to deal with. Well, like that's another thing is I think when I stopped doing that is when I really all the shit that I've ignored about myself mm -hmm. hit me. Yeah, and I suddenly was like oh, okay, so now that I don't have this yeah, other thing to always be worrying about, there's a mirror there. Totally. And a, it's intense to right. see all my stuff I haven't right. handled properly too. That seems to be what happens when you cut toxic people out mm-hmm. of your life. Mm-hmm. I've only
3: had it happen to me like a few times mm-hmm. in my life but I felt the same way where yeah. you're just like holy shit like this has been taking up 90% of my mind space and now it's gone and like yeah. I'm just
2: like naked <laughs> yeah it's like weird yeah I, it, I'm so interested in what you your teenage life in LA was been like and how that because I feel like you've had such a transition from your first record and when I first met you, yeah, to now in a sort of I don't know in just like a really unique way that I feel like probably not a lot of people growing up here and mm. what you experienced and your everything surrounding your first like album and mm. release and everything and the journey that it, you've been on to here. I'm just like interested in what that has actually been like for you personally.
3: Oh, man, growing up here was awesome. Yeah. I love L.A. and I love L.A. people. Mm-hmm. I think they're such open-minded, mm-hmm. funny, talented, creative people. I love I love the way they think and the way they sort of live their lives. Yeah. I, I, some of my best friends grew up here and, yeah. like, I don't know. I love the way they see things. Cool. Um, it's really an inspiring place t- to me because of that. I feel like when I was, like,
2: 17 or 18. Is that when your first record came out?
3: Uh, my first record came out when I was 16. He's 16. Uh, and then the second one came out when I was. Well, I put out an EP, Papa Cramp, my first one when I was 16. When I was 17, Haxel Princess came out. And then when I was 18 or 19, Apocalypse, it came out. And now I'm. And then when I was 22, it's so crazy. The, the Stuffed and Ready came out. <laughs> so, so cool. yeah. So, I feel like, I don't know, when I was like 18, I was like, my parents really wanted me to go to college. Yeah. And I got into college and they're kind of intellectuals. Yeah. And they were kind of like, bah, 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 bah. <laughs> you're going to not go to college <laughs> yeah. and you're going to do what? <laughs> you're going to be in a Punk rock band? Are you fucking kidding me? Like, okay. Like, if that's really what you want to do, you know, they were very supportive and like they come to every show. They buy tickets. They never get on the guest list because they want to support the band. And like, they buy tons of merch and they're like always shooting videos of us playing and like sending me press. And like, they're so, I'm like, I know it happened to me. I know what happened. It happened to me. I did did that. (laughs) Did you hear? <laughs> I know.
2: It's crazy. I did it.
3: <laughs> but like, yeah, it, it's really... All our parents do that. My bandmates' parents do that too. Oh, your
2: bandmates are so
3: sweet. Yeah, well. they're so sweet. It's really nice. <clears throat> but like, they're really supportive. I, I, I decided when I was like 18, I was like, I'm going to get really good at guitar. Mm. I'm going to... Choose one thing to do yeah. with my life. Yeah. So that I have a purpose yeah. in my life. Yeah. And it's going to be getting good at guitar. That's cool. And if I do that, everything else will just fall into place. That's so just cool. Just trust myself and not beat myself up and get good at guitar. And like I having like that really one some good
2: rules that people <laughs> should just get taught at school, <laughs> <laughs> like that's all you need. <laughs> it's totally all you need. I realized that.
3: There's a whole world of love and life and opportunity in just that one thing. Mm -hmm. And I feel good that I chose something because I was at a point where I was like, I should learn a million instruments. Like, I should, you know, do other stuff. And it was like, but then I feel like I would be directionless. And I'm glad I stuck with the one thing because I can only handle one thing to do yeah there's got to be only one thing
2: or else I'm <laughs> I don't do any of it right I'm kind <clears> of so, the opposite yeah I need like 15,000 things <laughs> yeah. on my plate to be able to function <laughs> if I have one thing I don't know how to like have a, just I like, need a deadline and pressure <laughs> and like a too much stuff on my plate and I'm like yeah <laughs> cool and then when there's like one thing to do I just like have too much headspace or something and I just get very like yeah freaked out it is but intense I really admire that it's intense to have just one thing because your
3: whole life rides on it. Yeah. I know that if I like lost a finger or whatever, you figure it out. <laughs>
2: Maybe you would. There's people that play guitar with like one finger. You would just be like, now I need to get really good at guitar with one finger, and that's what you would do.
3: Yeah, I know. It's my biggest fear. I wake people up play and it I'm with just their like, oh. toes.
2: You're yeah. always like, oh, they're still here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
3: <sighs> it's it's given me a it's given me a purpose cool. in life is to just have like one thing like guitar guitar is life life is guitar I love and that. Then, then and then that's it
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> and that sort of pulled you through do you think like everything because it's like one focus yeah, to have through exactly every, every, It's pulled me through mind. that's oh.
3: how I got through. My teenage years. Being a teenager. Mm -hmm. As I had, like, this focus and this love, I decided that. Yeah. Because, of course, naturally, as, like, a 20-year-old kid Mm -hmm. in L.A., Mm -hmm. you want to be doing a million things, and there's so much cool stuff to do and, like, so many creative things you can do. I love L.A. because it's such a creatively open atmosphere. Yeah. And— like yeah and there's so many cool people and artists and it's like you could be doing all this stuff and i wanted to and like wanted to dabble but then i'd be like well then i would just be dabbling in a bunch of shit and i wouldn't have one like yeah goal yeah so i feel grateful for the guitar
2: oh <laughs>
3: cool yeah that's sick <laughs> <clears throat> tell me about trash your song okay <laughs>
2: So... <laughs> I love it. Thank you. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> I got asked to do an exhibition mm. by one of my boyfriend's friends, this girl, Athena Paddington. She's a mm. makeup artist and beauty editor. She put on this exhibition called Trash about mm. single-use plastic. She's like mad on the environment. She, she's mad on it. What a badass. <laughs> She, that's yeah, really cool. that's really cool. It's really cool. and an important person to have. Definitely. <laughs> and I hadn't met her yet. And my boyfriend was like collecting stuff for it. And then she just texted He him, was collecting stuff? Oh, I didn't explain the <laughs> exhibition. So that just sounded really weird. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. It's just funny to think about <laughs> some man collecting trash. <laughs> that's what he was doing. Because the exhibition awesome. was all these different artists got told a specific amount of time to collect your single-use plastic for. Okay. And so she just said, oh, Kate should do it as well. We hadn't met. And you know, there's like some people where you just have a feeling that you're going to connect with yeah. them. And I was like, just give me her number because I'm going to text her. Yeah. And I texted her. And it was one of those texts where, like, I wasn't playing it cool at all. I just like fully went in as myself. And yeah. I was like, this is what I'm thinking about this. And blah. And then she responded in the exact same way. And I was yeah. like, great, we make sense. And we just like <laughs> met up and talked for like three hours and just really hit it off. So I got two weeks to collect single-use plastic, mm. and then you had to make something out of it for this mm. art exhibition, which I'm not an arts person in that way at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. Like, it would just be like a bunch of plastic glue together and nothing. <laughs> it would just, I wouldn't know what to do. And I just got my wisdom teeth out, so I had two weeks off, which I never have. And... I also just got my records delivered to me, so I was collecting all the plastic off the covers of the mm. records, and it was just, like, building up. I was staying at wow. Airbnb in London, and it was, I was just, like, on the sofa every day, just, like, collecting plastic. Like, just <laughs> fucked up. Like a time lapse. Yeah. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the noise of a time lapse. Everyone, by the way, yeah,
3: those things are so weird. Yeah.
2: Just did a a weird I just did a lapse. really weird interaction. <laughs> I love
3: that <laughs>
2: reenactment of a time lapse. It's bizarre. So I became hyper aware of it, and I had time off. So. It was perfect to just, this is a, this is typical of my nature, of just, like, I went fully into this new project. I had two weeks to rest with my wisdom teeth out, and I was like, cool, I'm going to, like... I was talking to some guy in Salt Lake City who's making this, like, sustainable record out of, like... He's like, don't show anyone yes. this. And I was Ooh. like, first of all, no one's going to care. Like, <laughs> I won't, but I think you're a little, like, in it right now because I don't think this is going to go viral. Like, first of all, records are really niche. Second of all, sustainable records are, like... No one gives a fuck,
1: but I, <laughs>
3: right. I do. just a small, small category of <laughs> right. folks who are passionate about
2: that. <laughs> yeah, I am too. That's cool as yeah, hell. Yeah, it's really but cool, but
3: it's not the yeah. kind of thing that's going to like that's blow us. up.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I, I respect how much you wanted to protect it, though. <laughs> <laughs> you got to love passion <laughs> in all its forms. <laughs> so I decided I wanted to make a record if I could out of the plastic that I was collecting from my music so I make music from trash from music yeah so awesome I reco- I got booked a recording session with my friend and I was like I'm just gonna write a song and it was really easy to write because I just had to do it mm. for the thing so mm. I booked like I was living next to this rehearsal studio and I just went over there and I booked myself two hours and like Two played. hours you recorded that song. No, in two hours? I didn't, but yeah. I recorded a bunch of me on the bass singing, yeah. and then in the last like twenty seconds, I like got the song. So, like I got the chorus. And I was like, oh, that's the song. Nice. And so then I went to my friend's studio and we recorded it properly and like it was just like really easy because I was so mm-hmm. determined that I needed the song for the record. yeah, like that's a really helpful thing for my brain. It is like pressure and a deadline, like it mm-hmm. doesn't have to be. A bad pressure, but just something that's like, oh, you, you need to make a song so that you can yeah. make this art for right. this project. Right, cool, great. I can easily do that. I when there's that. just open space, it's like all a bit much. Totally. So I wanted the song to be like this idea that, like the beginning, opening looks are like, hey, are you up? Are you sitting down? I've got bad news. Have you got like someone you can talk to? And it's kind of like, oh, we've fucked the planet. Like that's the news. It's like it's we're all going to die. Like, yeah. sucks, but... It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. And then I always like to turn everything into kind of like a love song too. Mm. So it feels relatable to anyone. I think about that all the time. And like, impure toxic devotion runs through me like a river to a plastic ocean mm. is something I love feel that. about my attraction to toxicity and everything mm. we were just talking about where I like take yeah. on other people's things. And it's like this weird thing that I've had for so many years where mm-hmm. i'm like just i know that i'm swimming in this trash. Yeah. And trash for you is ultimately i end up turning myself into trash for that person.
3: Mm. You know?
2: Because same it's like if someone's treating me like a dick and i'm just accepting that then like what am i what i realized when i finally had to turn the mirror on myself was like i don't value myself. Mm. Because if i did i wouldn't be desiring these people if i wouldn't be like so of course, you know? And it's like a weird thing to admit. It's really scary it is. to yeah, yeah. Because you kind of, I talk about insecurities and like, I think also when you're doing interviews all the time and you like take on, which I'm sure you have as well, because so many like young people are looking up to you or peers right. are looking up to you and like you have this voice for this responsibility and what you want to put out and what you mm-hmm. want to stand for and what you believe in mm-hmm. and your honesty and stuff. <clears throat> but then your true shit with yourself is not always It's like, it's, I feel like I'm being truthful in those moments, but I'm not really, like, going deep in to be, like, like, I would never have thought I was someone that didn't value myself. Right. I feel like I'm fairly confident and, like, I believe that I should be valued Mm -hmm. and those things. So to suddenly be like, oh, I don't. Mm. It's, like, quite scary. Like, I didn't realize that I was doing that. I didn't realize that was kind of self-harm in some way and that I, like, clearly don't have respect for myself. Because it was sad to realize, yeah. you know? And so I had So, to,
3: like, incredible, though, that you can be that self-effacing and, like, really accept that
2: as a reality. Yeah. It was harsh. Yeah. It came at this weird moment where I felt like I had this... Some, the weirdest time in my life where I, like, have never been so... There was, like, a right turn and a left turn and Mm -hmm. I knew I was turning right Mm -hmm. and like saying goodbye to that left turn Mm -hmm. and that it was like the end of a cycle Mm -hmm. and it happened like I just I turned 30 and then I did this summer tour where I did a 10-year reunion tour of my first album so I played all these songs for the whole summer that I wrote when I was 16 and it was this weird moment of having to like completely accept myself Mm. and heal myself from shit that I experienced from the media bullying me or like what people thought of me and like Mm -hmm. you know when you're when you like turn on yourself and you're like I need to rebel because you have this too I'm Mm -hmm. sure Mm because if you start writing songs at like 14, 15, 16 Mm -hmm. and you carry on when you're in your 20s you're like kind of rebelling against that 16 year old Mm -hmm. and through your 20s you're like almost shedding your teen self Mm -hmm. and then when you hit your 30s you you kind of look back and you're like, okay, who am I now? Mm -hmm. Because I've been trying to like push away from these different identities and Mm -hmm. find who I am. And I think a lot of people end up going back to some of their like original ideals. And Mm -hmm. oh, there was a lot for me actually in this teenage person who was so sure of Mm themselves. Because when you're a teenager, you're like, this is who I fucking am and <laughs> I am this like everything is about your identity and like yes. wearing your identity on yourself and like your yeah. makeup like every single part of you is yeah. you, who you are That's so true and then 20's it's like oh that was so stupid and like I'm now an adult and then you're not an adult at all <laughs> and then 30 you're like oh my fucking teenage self like knew who the fuck she was how? yeah how did she know that? yeah and I think like it was so healing it was the most open tour ever mm. and I'd gone through so much shit in the music industry where I hit points where I felt like you need to give up, but you also know you're never gonna. So this is just like really intense right. <laughs> because it's like kind of killing me, but like i have to keep making music but why it's not working it's so hard like everyone's fucking you over you're too naive you don't know how to be in business Mm -hmm. you don't know how to make money in any other way Mm -hmm. what the fuck are you you're like this like i don't know how i got to points where i didn't know how to be an adult i felt like worthless Mm. because if your music's not working out then you've like it's so like what you said. If you like completely dedicate yourself to that, and then that doesn't work out, yeah, you don't know what to do. You're like, yeah. well, I guess I just get a job in a cafe because I just I feel like I don't know how people have careers or right. anything else because mine's mm-hmm. so specific and niche. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'd also felt like you need to stop being so naive and like shut down, like your getting in trouble from being too open mm. and then when I went on that tour and the whole audience was like so open with me like I follow like their hearts were like just beating and oh, open wow. and it was so beautiful and it like validated for me that I was like that because I was receiving it I like if, yeah. like if you give that out you can receive it yeah and so although you can put yourself in danger and have negative experiences from it yeah I was like glad that I didn't shut it down and glad that I didn't change and I couldn't have really even if I wanted to, because I yeah. think like who you, your core is as a person is gonna stay the same. Mm-hmm. But many facets of you will change, but you're, right. you're like who you are is like gonna be there. Like that's your spine.
3: Yeah. I don't, I also don't think we change all that much. Yeah. Like I think we just kind of are who we are. Yeah. But um, like you can learn
2: stuff. Yeah. And yeah. Evolve and have different ideas and experiences. But yeah, I, th- I think that too. You're so real and self-reflective. <laughs> it's a really admirable thing. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I think like that that's music though as well. Is that if you write lyrics, you probably are drawn to doing that because you're kind of always yeah singing back. You're, you're like singing when you're on tour. You're singing your what you think every night.
3: Yeah, it's funny. I feel like there are parts on Stuffed and Ready where I was like oh, shit, am I really going to, like, record this? Yeah. Like, this is a little much.
2: Like, you're uh, most vulnerable. <laughs>
3: yeah, like, stuff. so vulnerable and, like, I don't know. I started I started practicing certain mantras in my mind mm-hmm. that really helped me with this record where mm-hmm. I was, like, trust yourself and don't beat yourself up. And those were really important lessons to me in, in that I— I ended up writing stuff that was like very plain and direct mm-hmm. and like I felt like in years past when I was younger, you want to prove to yourself and to others that you're smart and that capable. You're that you're this poet. Yeah. 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 And then I was like, I don't have to use big words and metaphors that don't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. I don't need to bullshit. Yeah. I'd rather just see what happens when I tell people that. I don't want people to know how much time I spend alone. (laughs) (laughs) And then that's just the song. (laughs) like It's bleak. Yeah. (laughs) You know, but whatever. And it's like the simplest thing ever. But I don't know. It felt good to write that stuff at the time. Because I think I got to a point where I was like, all right, like, there's n- there's no reason to need to prove yourself to anyone because yeah. we're all trying to do that. We're all just shooting in the dark and yeah, yeah. hoping that we're, like, sounding smart and capable because it's like a survival tactic mm-hmm. as human beings. Mm-hmm. That's what
2: we want, to survive. And to be comfortable. Yeah,
3: and be comfortable.
2: I think if you yeah. take away that invisible framework as well that doesn't really exist but we put in for whatever yeah. reasons, like yeah. who are our idols or who... Do we respect in the industry, or what has the industry told yeah. us about ourselves? Then, like yeah. that kind of has to move out of the way before you can get in touch with something. And I think yeah. there's this. I still get it now and I write. I wrote a song the other day, and I was like, "Is this cheesy? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to <laughs> gauge that. I'm yeah. I just like I can't tell. Yeah. And then I had to be like, well. It's honest and it's yeah, literally like same kind of thing. Like I'm talking mm-hmm. about real stuff, like I'm not like inventing things. I'm this really <laughs> yeah. happened, I'm telling yeah. a story. And so trusting that is mm. important because if you have yeah. truth in your words, then people are gonna relate to them in some way. Right. And I think that's the there's no way of knowing. Is this right. cheesy? Maybe. Oh well yeah. it's true. So And also <laughs> easier said cool. than done, you know, like <laughs> yeah. trusting yourself. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah
3: easier said than done <laughs> way easier said than done <laughs> yeah it's super easy I do it Kate does it we all do it it's super easy just trust yourself Jesus Christ just do it already <laughs> no yeah
2: <laughs> what do you feel is the, the most like vulnerable part of I mean other than lyrics and stuff when do you feel the most vulnerable as an artist what's like the hardest part of oh that's a great journey? question When I feel most vulnerable. Like when you are like, when is it the hardest to trust yourself?
3: I suppose when I'm recording vocals. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because like, it's the most important part Mm -hmm. of the song and you are putting it down permanently.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Commitment. (laughs) Yeah,
3: it's a major commitment. Yeah. I don't feel vulnerable playing live I don't even really get very nervous because I very much I try to see the nervousness I have as excitement for the show Mm -hmm. and I'm I go so bananas on stage that I'm kind (laughs) of like in a zone and we practice so much that it's like you just get enter this zone where you just want to create this like open atmosphere for yourself and for the folks coming to the show and and um I like to see every venue as, like, the office. (laughs) I'm going into the office, (laughs) and I like to enter it and be like, so this is the office for today, huh? (laughs) Okay, you know? (laughs) Yeah, that's a really good question. Maybe even during stuff like this, yeah, where, like, you have to describe yourself Mm -hmm. or, I don't know, do something that is supposed to be, like, a definition of yourself— I think we're living in a time where everybody's trying to define themselves. I am this way. I would never do this. I will never do that. I always do this. I always do that. Mm -hmm. I'm this way. I'm that way. I'm a Capricorn. (laughs) Blah, blah, blah. Are you a Capricorn? No, I'm a Sagittarius. (laughs) Are you? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And like, that seems kind of hard and scary because we don't yeah. know anything about ourselves and like if we're trying to define ourselves then um, it just seems sort of self-defeating mm-hmm. cuz you're going to want different no
2: n- you're never going to have the the thing yeah you're never going to be doing one thing forever and you're not going to be able to capture it in like a description or an interview or yeah. a, a photo or like whatever yeah. you can't. every person is unique mm-hmm. And it's supposed to be that way. And that's why you keep making records. Like, if you could do that, you would just write a record and put the pen down and be like, I did it. Yeah. I don't have anything else to kind <laughs> yeah. of say or explore. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that the, the drive to continue to write songs for me is always, like, right I Because don't know. if
3: you know, if you've got it all figured out, then <laughs> yeah. there's nothing Probably to, like, feel. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah I feel similarly about writing where it's like such an outlet for me. Mm-hmm. Like I write when I am feeling overwhelmed, yeah, a lot of the times. and a lot of my songs come out of feeling over like really overwhelmed yeah. with like my life and um, just being a person yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like not knowing what my future is gonna be. You like <laughs> like so. <laughs> I feel okay now. I I was feeling kind of stressed of like last year. We weren't really on the road and we recorded two albums because yeah. I wasn't happy with the first one, so oh, we did wow. another
2: one. I want to hear the first one.
3: Yeah, it's good. It's not as good as the other one,
2: but <laughs> the I'll... new album is so good. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it is. It's so good. I've been listening to all of your music like leading up to this, and it's like Thanks. so cool listening to like your first. Record and I love that you played Teenage Girl and Grilled Cheese (laughs) and stuff at the show, (laughs) and it's funny like seeing that journey of you. I was so happy that you asked me to do this because I feel like I've I've known you since I lived here. Yeah, and you, it's like because you were so young then. Yeah, it is really like. I mean, when you're 16, you just look like a kid, and now you're 22. <laughs> it's like a—it's di- not a different person because it's still you, but it's like such an interesting transition that I feel like mm. I've seen in you, mm. and even just like the comfort in yourself and like how open you are and stuff. Because when you're a teenager, it's different, yeah. And like the band has gone through so much, and mm. it's just really an amazing journey. And I feel like I don't know—I feel like I don't know you well enough to be like, I'm proud of you. And that can sound really patronizing because like I'm not your mom or something, but I am like proud of you. I feel the same way with you. Yeah. It's weird to like have when that When we feeling. met,
3: I remember going to your house and it was like one summer yeah. afternoon and it was like, Sophia, Kelsey, yeah. you, and you were doing Girl Gang, yeah,
2: yeah which yeah. was the
3: coolest thing ever. Aww. And I was so obs- obsessed with how cool that was. And it, cool. like have such a love for it now too. Aww. And like, I'm so glad that it existed. But I just remember we went on a pool hunt. We tried to find a pool around the city I that we could that. crash. And you were like- you we were we were all like getting in someone's car. I think it was my car. Yeah. And we were like this driving was, around trying to find a pool. Was which like is Sophia like Sophia leaving or something. Yeah. I feel was, like Sophia, Sophia was, was going to
2: college or yeah, something. Yeah. I think she was going yeah. to New York. And we were trying to find a pool. <laughs> You're trying, it was trying to find a really pool. Really unsuccessful. <laughs>
3: yeah. It was unsuccessful. Like and like, I don't know. Got it was that. so cool. It was so much fun. And <laughs> you were wearing like six-inch platform heels and like a mini skirt and, like, a pink shirt and, like, a pink bow in your hair. And um, we w- we got somehow got into this, like, apartment complex. Yeah, and in- on Rowena. Yeah. Yeah. And, so and that, we're like, yeah. yeah, and that
2: guy was, like, really aggressive towards yeah. us. Yeah, and, and,
3: like, whatever, we we got to the pool and we were going to, like, go in the pool and he was, like, he some grumpy old man came out and was, like, you can't be in this pool or whatever. And you were just, like, this, like, tower in your (laughs) heels and your miniskirt and you're just like, why the fuck not? (laughs) What? Fuck you! And I was just 16 and I was just like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Just like, this woman is like so fucking cool. She's just like in six-inch platform heels and a skirt, yelling at this guy because of his
2: stupid ass rules. But he made a weird comment that was rapey and that's why I got so angry. I feel like he made a weird like rape threat to us. Like, it was like, get out of here, or I don't know what's going to happen or something. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, this is a bunch of, like, 16-year-olds. Like, you can't, like, pretend, like, threaten to rape. And there was, like, kids in the pool. I mean, it was weird. It was badass, though. (laughs)
3: You, like, you were just, like... You're so stupid, and your rules are arbitrary. And it was so true. It was the coolest thing that had ever happened to me, and I was just like, "Wow, this person is fucking rad." So funny, (laughs) yeah. I'll never forget, like you just standing there, just being like, "Fuck you," (laughs) and I'm just like, "Ah, "This is so awesome." It was the height of my <laughs> teenage summer. years. Yeah, the height of the summer.
2: <sighs> oh my god! I like your impression of me as well. <laughs> Fuck you! I made you way more like <laughs> East London, yeah, like, like cartoon, yeah, yeah, British. <laughs> Fuck you, mate! <gasps> Fuck you.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Cool. I feel like we just had a great conversation. That was awesome.
2: Do you want to have any final words?
3: Mm, final
0: words like Jerry
2: Springer final my Final thought
3: <laughs> keep on keeping on don't forget that people are always going to be there when you're for forgetting and stop and don't ever
2: stop it's a good so my mom thought. always said <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think what my final thought would be yeah
3: what's your final thought I,
2: I think maybe because we have both been through that like teenage thing of putting stuff out really early on mm-hmm. I'm curious about your journey with that And just continuing to see where that will go. And when you're, like, you're, it's just cool. Thanks. Yeah,
3: I feel really lucky to be in this position. When I was, like, five years old, I would imagine singing to stadiums of people. (laughs) Sick. And that's still kind of my dream. Yeah. So I just feel really lucky. And the record has been getting a lot of hype, which Mm -hmm. I wasn't expecting. I I try not to expect anything
2: mm-hmm.
3: like because I'm scared that the whole thing will collapse. Yeah. And I'll either like get rich <laughs> and like play or stadiums trying. or die trying. <laughs> <laughs> no, or I'll become like a like a single old lady with a dog and a pickup truck and a guitar <laughs> playing like bars around Nevada. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> either or I'll be like Metallica or I'll be like some crazy old lady in a shack in
2: Nevada with my dog and
3: my acoustic.
2: <laughs> I feel either are fine. Who knows? Because you might end up being like a cyborg version of yourself. <laughs> exactly.
3: <laughs> if it's time. up
2: to Zuckerberg.
3: Then. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'm just so grateful that you asked me to do I'm this. I'm so grateful that you came and did this. Yeah. I really loved talking to you. Me too.
1: 2019 is out of the gate with a fucking bang on awesome records. Cherry Glazer and Kate Nash right there with the best of them.
0: Feels like a good omen for the rest of the year.
1: Listeners, both artists are hitting the road soon, so if you're listening anywhere in the U.S. or Europe, make sure to check out those upcoming tour dates.
0: We've got some great behind-the-scenes pictures, so be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook to check those out.
1: Also, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. We have some awesome shows coming up, including Karen O with Sam Spiegel and Tim Heidecker with Hayden Pettigo. Today's conversation was recorded at Clem's House in L.A. by Ollie Niku and by our producer Mark Yoshizumi at Hook and Fade in Brooklyn.
0: And our gorgeous theme song was composed and performed by The Range. Until next week, I'm Annie Fell.
1: And I'm Elia Einhorn, here to say, Dear Pope, I'm out! Bye! Peace!